Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And we've got a real treat for you today, something a little bit out of the normal and not really diving deep into the uh, COVID uh, challenges, but we're going to go into fitness and we have a uh, an extraordinary coach, perhaps one of the best coaches in the country is, uh, is coach Sam or coach Cal rat, but Sam Calavita, who's going to be joining us today. And I want to share with you how I, uh, connected with coach. He's been following me for quite some time, but I didn't know that. Uh, I was presenting at a biohacking conference earlier, uh, in, I think it's September, October of, uh, 2022. And um, one of the organizers of the event was grabbing me and said, oh, uh, Misha Tate wants to meet you. And I said, oh, I think I remember her. She was a UFC fighter. I think she's a world champ, if I'm not mistaken. And it turns out she, uh, so we had lunch, I had lunch with her and she introduced me to Coach Cal. Uh, and we, and uh, just extraordinary, exciting information because he's really put together a lot of the science I've been teaching and really getting beyond extraordinary results with his athletes. And his athletes include some many world champions, professional athletes, uh, probably over a thousand, I think he's been coaching. So, and we're going to go dive deep into that. So welcome. And thank you for joining us today, Coach Cal. Oh, thank you, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you for the influence that you've had on uh, the work that I do with my athletes and uh, many of their lives. When I told them I was going to be on the podcast with you, they were so excited. They said, oh, well, tell them I've been using all of his products and uh, a lot of his methods uh, for years now. And uh, I'm not talking about athletes that are just uh, weekend warriors, but uh, I'm talking about athletes that are the very best in the world, Olympic gold medalists. I have pictures of them, uh, world champions, and in particular, uh, in an area that a lot of people wouldn't think, but uh, combat sports, mm. where energy systems takes on a completely different paradigm when you are exerting yourself against another human being in a proprioceptively unpredictable environment. Mm. And uh, so they're very excited. Yeah. And that's, is that one of the areas that you personally um, participated in and actually uh, focused on initially? Was it the wrestling and then MMA or? Yeah, I, uh, I wrestled up till I was about 40. Mm. And uh, at that point in time, uh, I guess you would call me well, I was one of those academic nerds because mm -hmm. by trade, I'm a professor of mathematics. No, oh, okay. And uh, so I've had a fantastic uh, mathematics career and uh, it, I was real blessed. In 2005, I was actually recognized as the uh, number one calculus teacher in the entire world by uh, President George Bush and uh, the Advanced Placement Board in Princeton, New Jersey. And then uh, in 2009, as a result of that, um, I was recognized by the Siemens Foundation as the math science technology teacher of the year also. And uh, a book was written on the teaching and the teaching methods and whatnot. So combining that with combat sports is kind of unusual to begin with. But uh, but I wrestled till I was 40. And at 40, things just started to hurt. 
too bad. I was wrestling younger guys and uh, things like that. And uh, so I decided I was going to take the next challenge. And I thought that the next challenge that was going to push me like wrestling was uh, Ironman triathlon. And boy, did I actually misjudge that one because a wrestling match might take six to nine minutes, but the Ironman take up to 17 hours. And uh, so total different paradigm and energy systems and actually a lot of the things that you preached. And so I had to figure out my energy systems in my body, used a lot of the things that you have. I've been following you for a long, long time. And uh, in particular, um, basically your your drive with mitochondrial dysfunction and mitochondrial optimization. And uh, so I brought a lot of those practices in. I brought them into the sports. I brought them into the Ironman. And I was able to hybridize Ironman training along with combat sports and wrestling and kind of came up with a very unique way of training athletes. Yeah, unique and uh, effective. Otherwise, you wouldn't have so many world-class athletes seeking your consultations. And I, I, it sounded like the last time we talked, you had a backlog of people who want you to, co- you to coach them. But, you know, the, there's only so much time, so you have to be very selective. Yeah, um, there's a plethora of... Uh, athletes who are seeking to get in to uh, train with us and train with me and work through these practices. But um, we're pretty much impacted right now. Uh, For example, almost the entire Olympic wrestling team, which uh, this year, uh, just a couple months ago, won the first world title in wrestling in, uh, my gosh, years, years and years, Uh, beating out Russia, beating out Iran. of that t- of that squad, ten of the weight classes, as wrestling and combat sports are very weight specific programs, which tie right into many of your practices with the intermittent fasting, with uh, your very very meticulous directions on c- cyclic ketogenic diet, not overdoing it and things like that. But uh, seven of the ten athletes on that team are trained lab athletes. A huge portion of the UFC and uh, Bellator athletes. Are all my athletes and uh no i actually uh i actually um talked to your guy here and i can share my screen so you can actually see what some of these athletes look like sure the, the train lab is known for uh some of the most magnificent body transformations ever seen and uh we do it all through a platform that uh that i appreciate your approach and uh your approach is basically uh you know what treat the body the way god intended it to be treated and then sit back and watch the miracle take over Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been really, really neat. So I'll bring up a few photographs for you here to see some of these athletes and give you a name of them, some of them. Sure. But uh, they're all super excited to uh, to see this interview with you. So let me see if uh, I think I'm, I'm sharing my screen here. Let me go to my share screen. And uh, all right, let's go to uh, this folder here. And uh, let's bring these up here. This here is... Uh, a collage of many of the athletes that I work with and uh, I'll go into some individual pictures, but I thought this kind of, kind of shows you the depth of what we actually do. These, uh, these athletes are oddly enough, they're the toughest athletes in the world, but they're very, very cerebral and they appreciate being uh, guided by expertise. And a lot of that expertise is, uh, is directed by many of the things that you've taught me. So uh, this is a, a young gal who's uh, who fights in uh, an organization overseas. 
And uh, we were able to actually bring her down from uh, about 154 pounds down to 125 pounds here without ever bastardizing her hydration status mm-hmm. or her caloric intake, uh, all through many of the, uh, the principles that were found in your book, Shot for Fuel. She looks like she might be under 10% body fat. Um, at the weigh-in here, she actually is. But the interesting part is that uh, using a specific gravity meter, um, her hydration was 100% right on, and she never missed a meal, never skipped anything. But uh, that's that's one of them. I wanted to see these legs in one of my fighters because we use one of the principles that you actually advocate with hyperbaric chambers and uh, the inducement of hypoxic inducible factor as a transcription factor rewriting the body's response epigenetically to basically that of a hypoxic situation and thereby flipping the the basically uh the basically the light switches if you like for mm-hmm. the body to produce uh hormonal responses uh things like the body's own capacity biologically for myoglobin hemoglobin mm-hmm. development um vascular endothelial growth factor vascular genesis and uh things like that um here's a group of seven of the fighters out there these are all top world ufc fighters um several world champions in there and uh this is trained out front this here's one of my wrestlers uh ones you to see that uh look at the vascularity and the conditioning on this athlete which is very very rare to be able to see and uh this young man here follows your principles in fact he's probably been one of your number one customers for the last four years that you've <laughs> if you went into your records you'd see it uh and uh so and then uh oh i threw this i threw this picture in here just so you know my wife monica and i have nine children wow um, and they all they all uh basically use uh a lot of the guidelines that you have uh our nine kids there uh first four i have three doctors and a lawyer coming through and uh a uh a little girl on the left, there's a surgical nurse coming through. So great. These are, uh, there's Misha Tate. There's a picture of Misha. Um, oh, she, it, she was UFC champion at one time. Yeah. And uh, the interesting part is I'm going to actually show you a transformation photo of her. Um, Misha was actually known for having um, one of the most horrifying weight cuts ever in the UFC. It, uh, it almost killed her. Hmm. But she had never been below 135 pounds to fight. And uh, after she successfully made a comeback, which was awesome. I don't know if she told you about it, but five years retired, two children later, and basically at 156 pounds or so, came and said, Coach Cal, I'd like to uh, basically come back to fighting, and I'd like to do things right and not destroy my body. And so we we basically did uh, the training lab regimen to bring her in. But the interesting part was the UFC told her we'd like you to go 125 pounds. Mm. And she almost died at 135. And this is her right here, 125 pounds. Wow. And she had never been that in her adult life. And uh, so some of the transformations that we do look like this. There's one there. It's five and a half months. This here is a professional fire in the UFC. 268 pounds down to 184 pounds. In about five and a half months. Mm. Uh, this guy here is a UFC legend, uh, Joe Daddy Stevenson, mm-hmm. 204 pounds down to 155 without any caloric restriction. 
without any dehydration, but actually using the optimization of the mitochondria in many principles, which I'll get to and explain to you. Um, there's a picture, but here's a really big one. This guy here was uh, known as the Philippine Wrecking Machine. He was one of the top contenders in the UFC. His name's Mark Munoz, and he had a, a eating dysmorphia. And uh, this was a nine-week transformation, 262 to 184 for a top-level title fight. Wow. And as you can see, that uh, these pictures uh, actually – Show some of that, uh, some of that, uh, basically results that, uh, many of your practices and principles have done. And every one of these, this here's a young lady, she's an Olympic gold medalist, Helen Maroulis. She was just here visiting me yesterday and she was on your site getting a number of the supplements that we'll get into later if you like. But, uh, she was the first Olympic gold medalist ever in the history of women's wrestling and wow. uh, she's a sweetheart and she follows your principles there she is right there winning the gold medal wow and uh here is uh david taylor he was an olympic gold medalist in tokyo in fact the funny story is is i used your principles and many of the protocols so much that in our first meeting that you had no idea but what influence you actually had on world-class athletes that i have to let you in on a funny story David wrestles for Penn State uh, when he was in college, highly successful collegiate wrestler. And that's where I met him because I'm the head analyst for Knitting Line and Penn State Wrestling for the last 12 years, hmm. where we've won 10 out of 12 years NCAA one Division I titles. But I used your stuff so long. This is the transformation we did with David. This was him on the left where he came to me. And two years later, this was him at the World Championships in 2018. Wow. And I'm going to show you him here with uh, the picture that is uh, says it all. There he is with the Tokyo Olympic gold medal. <laughs> and uh, so here the funny story is after about two years of working with him, he went to his coaches who are very well known. Kale Sanderson, Olympic gold medalist himself. Mm -hmm. Casey Cunningham and Cody Sanderson. And he went to them and he said, I have to ask you guys a question. I've been working with Coach Cal for two years now, but is he really Dr. Mercola? <laughs> and uh, so anyways, uh, it was a really neat thing. And uh, these guys all know you and we've brought in some incredible, incredible results. And uh, that's the influence that you've actually had on uh a huge plethora of a different sect. You know, you do a lot of health and wellness things for general population, people do wellness, but I don't think you really understand the effect they actually had on the world-class athletes and the, basically the toughest athletes in the world. And uh, so, so I just thought that was kind of a cool thing. And then uh, this is him beating the Iranian in the final, uh, David, and there's Misha's transformation. So I want you to see, there she is on the left when she came over to me before she even knew who you were. And this was her at 156 pounds. And you can see her body composition here at 135 pounds. It's completely changed individual. Yeah, she wasn't shabby at 156, but looking pretty spectacular on the right. Yeah, she's a uh, she's fantastic gal. So uh, it's some of my tennis players and uh, some of the fighters, but uh, what not. And here I thought you might like this is... Uh, this, this is, is you. 
Yeah, this is the finish line of Iron Man. I don't know if you can see it, but uh, this is the one in uh, Hawaii, right? Yeah, there it is right Hawaii. there. 14 hours and 17 minutes later, dancing across the finish line. Uh, it was a 20 year endeavor to get there and uh, it made the highlight reel on the Iron Man. And uh, so, so, anyways, there's well, a. Congratulations. That's great. Just some kind of fun things just to give the people a background. Uh, what I really want them to understand is the the unbeknown influence that you've actually had and those who are truly listening to and appreciate the educational pieces that you put out daily and uh, basically your steadfast uh, fight to continue to let people facilitate the means to allow the human body to do what it can do. Yeah, it was great to find that out because I didn't realize that so many elite athletes were using these principles that I've been teaching. So um, thank you for sharing that with them and getting the results that you have. But I'm wondering if you could uh, describe, maybe highlight some of the effective strategies that some of the most effective strategies to use with them. I, I'm assuming basic principles like time-restricted eating, circadian biology, cell exposure, optimizing vitamin D. So why, why don't you highlight you know, what you, what, what the, the sort of the outline of your basic strategy is to get these phenomenal results in your, in your athletes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably all goes down to uh, one of the monikers that you use is AT production in mitochondria because mm -hmm. without it and without its optimization, we have no performance at a optimal level. And as you pointed out very directly many times, is that uh, the, the crux of most chronic disease is mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So basically everything went down to uh, how could I optimize ATP production in these athletes to allow their bodies to overtake that of an opponent's, mm -hmm. whether it be through the basically the central nervous system or facilitation of their health through the autonomic nervous system and whatnot. So it came down to understanding that ATP was is, could be produced uh, basically three main ways. One, aerobically in the mitochondria. Two, it could be anaerobically in the cytosol or three through phosphocreatine. And uh, in my studies and understanding some of the uh, basically biochemistry methods, I'm a mathematician by trade. I'm a physiologist by passion. And uh, understanding how phosphocreatine gives us the powerhouse molecule with basically snapping off and on that uh, that phosphate molecule using uh, some amino acids like uh, S-acetylmethionine and understanding that methylates with acetate to basically form uh, uh, basically homocysteine. And uh, basically what we're going to end up with is through a hydrolyzation process after that, we're going to end up with creatine and we're going to end up with adenosine. The whole circle circling back into being able to use deribose, adenosine, and phosphate molecules to form own ATP within the body at a higher level. But without mitochondrial optimization, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so some of my uh, my basic uh, ideas with uh, the mitochondria stemmed from some of your early teachings, which was, number one, we have to detoxify. We have mm -hmm. to get these polybrominated diphenyl esters out. We have to get these dioxins out. We have to get this glyphosate out. We have to get the PFOSs, the PFOAs. We have mm -hmm. to get these out of the body. Then you have shown us many different means by which to do that. Uh, one of them being uh, 
infrared therapy. Well, specifically near infrared, which is I was really impressed when you're sharing with me because you're one of the few people who really have captured and implemented that strategy. A lot of people say, oh, infrared is infrared, and they just go with the far infrared, which is the vast majority of saunas, but there's a huge difference. So why don't you share your experience with us? 100%. You're exactly right. The near infrared with the proper wavelengths, which were ranging between 700 and 960. Um, but as a detoxification protocol and the sweating, and the things that you've advocated for many years, I actually, I, in fact, I even took your advice and uh, used the sauna space bulbs, turned a far infrared. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't do that until I actually read your book, EMF. And when I understood what actually happened due to the EMF damage due to the calcium voltage gauge channels in the body, and then therefore mm-hmm. the necrosis of the cell uh, and the breakdown, uh, I totally thought that I can't be using this with my athletes and having their cells break down because I want them in a state of basically autophagy, mitophagy, and whatnot to be able to clean out, replicate, and redo and build themselves back up. So uh, I took the far infrared, which you suggested, and I outfit it with seven of the sauna space tungsten. That's great. And uh, oh, so I can get up to 150 degrees. And when I do that, I take it 150 to 155, which you don't think sounds like much, but when you actually have the intensity of the light rays on you mm-hmm. and all of the effects of the photobiomodulation, what we've actually observed has been nothing short of phenomenal because I do the testing. I do the HTMA analysis testing. I can follow the heavy metals. And that's hair analysis for those who don't follow Yep. I do a plethora of uh, blood tests, but I even took it a step further into something that she actually mentioned and uh, it's phenomenal. And that is the understanding as to how near-infrared light in particular works in conjunction with chlorophyll to then cause the proliferation of, well, we'll basically call it converting ubiquinone to ubiquinol mm-hmm. into the body, thereby allowing the ubiquinol to then f- go through the bloodstream and be used in a very effective manner in the electron transport chain as it passes things off to cytochrome C and then moves on into ATP pace and then molecular oxygen and all those things that are so awesome about the human body. So what I did is I took the near-infrared light and I developed a protocol to use methane, which is the basically metabolite of indole-3-carbonyl sulforaphane and chlorophyll mm-hmm. And to administer the red light in a very calculated fashion to then basically put out a larger ATP production, which people say, how do you know that? But the thing is, is I'm a mathematician. So I took to heart your interview with Dr. Schallenberg, and Mm -hmm. I went in and I wrote the algorithm with a metabolic cart to actually be able to calculate mitochondrial function and discrete ATP output within the human body. Mm. So I'm not just telling you what we do with the red light. I'm telling you we can measure it because what is measurable can be improved. Absolutely. And so that was one of the big things. So we detoxified and then we actually put the nutrients in from a fashion that were suggested by you for many years. And uh, the results have been fantastic. Yeah, I really like that because, you know, you mentioned autophagy and that's a really important function that your body has that most people 
fail to implement optimally. Uh, and autophagy is a self-healing or self-eating, essentially. Self, auto means self and phagos means eating. So essentially it's a repair and removal of damaged cellular parts. And it's best activated when you're fasting. And even beyond that, when you do the exercise and beyond that, you throw the near infrared sauna and you've got like the magic trio. And I think you're even integrating the, another recommendation that, you know, I think I was the first one to come up with, and that is low dose niacinamide, not niacin, but niacinamide, 50 milligrams, like three times a day. And if you're a bigger athlete or way more, uh, not, not, you know, cause some of your athletes are well over 200 pounds of muscle. Um, then you do, you don't go more than 50 milligrams. You do that four, maybe even five times a day, but you're doing that too, I believe. Is that correct? hundred percent. Uh, in fact, I think I mentioned to you in the previous conversation that, uh, the results have been nothing but spectacular after we understood, after I understood, uh, basically the studies that you put out and some of the graphics that I totally appreciate it, which, uh, I mean, we understood basically the body working through glycolysis, understanding that with oxygen, we're going to work with a uh, pyruvate dehydrogenase complex and basic nutrients that go along with that, which, you know, basically tender, loving care for Nancy, uh, thiamine, lipoic mm -hmm. acid, CoQ, FADH, which is basically your riboflavin and your niacin. Mm -hmm. But a lot of athletes uh, are sold a bill of goods with regard to IV therapy and uh, these NED IVs are very, very expensive. Yeah, about a thousand bucks. Yeah, they're very expensive. So, I mean, I'm dealing with athletes here uh, at all levels. And uh, so things can get expensive. So after you had published the article about the rate-limiting enzyme, nicotinamide adenine phosphoribosyltransferase. Or NAMPT for short. <laughs> yes, NAMPT for short. The rate-limiting enzyme that prohibits the recycling of NAD in the body, it made complete sense to me. And so understanding the importance of the body making the electrons at NADH coming into the first protein transport, and then basically being converted into NAD+, that NAD plus is then gonna now come down and be recycled, which, which, which basically is, we're gonna call it nicotinamide or niacinamide, but the rate-limiting enzyme inhibiting it from coming back around made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. So with that and the cost-effective ability to get niacinamide at pennies, I implemented a very strict protocol as to, right, as per your suggestion, 164th teaspoon three times a day for the athletes, which comes out to be the exact numbers that you said. And um, we have found that their energy levels, which I have measured on the metabolic carts in basically the way of resting metabolic rate and resting energy expenditure and uh, metabolic efficiency crossover point as well as basically fat substrate and carbohydrate substrate use for fuels have all been skyrocketing as a result of using this practice. And so all my athletes call it the fountain of youth and I myself <laughs> use it. So, uh, so these are real anecdotal experiences of people who you didn't even know were using these things. And to validate that the protocols that you're putting out and the research you're putting behind it are very, very real. And if people just understand to step away a bit from some of the allopathic means, and I don't have anything against allopathic means, but to let the body do what it can do once you give it what it needs to do. 
And uh, so, yeah, the niacinamide has been an incredible, incredible addition to what we do. Well, have you been integrating the hour of full sun exposure? 100%. Um, that's okay, so another. Tell us about that because I think this, this is free. There's no cost to it except your time, but you can multitask and read or walk or do something else as long as you're in the sun with minimal clothing. So I, every human being needs an hour of sun a day. Now, obviously not everyone's going to get it because of circ- environmental circumstances and their schedules, but that's the goal. So, you know, this, this is something that is so essential. I, I think it's one of the top two or three things that you need to do, but I'm just beyond delighted that you've taken this information, shared it, inspired and catalyzed implementation among so many incredible athletes. And we can see what it does. So I, I'm, I'm so excited to hear what you're going about to share about yeah. what, what their experience has been. Yeah. In fact, uh, I loved your vitamin D book that you put out the about 40 pages or what, not the big version. Oh, yeah. yeah, That was a summary of the article I published in nutrients in October. Yeah. It was fantastic. Um, I read through it several times, but understanding uh, vitamin D is a pro hormone and understanding basically the way things work a little bit on the body there with the seven dihydrocholesterol and the conversion mm-hmm. to the 25 hydroxy vitamin D and then to the 125 dihydroxy vitamin D actively in the kidney. I understand completely how this is going to be a game changer in my guys. So I can't have them going out there at low vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And so as per your recommendations of the numbers that you gave, I actually ran those numbers a bit higher. And uh, for my athletes, I run their vitamin D between 80 and 100. Mm. And uh, we do that by several means. We try to steer clear of the supplementation with the D3K2 magnesium cascade in there if we can. But oftentimes, mm-hmm. a lot of my guys live on the East Coast because wrestling yeah. is real big back there. But it's really funny how to see these guys back there in Pennsylvania. <laughs> what you see back there. They're sitting outside and it's 32 degrees out. Yeah. Sun comes out and they have their shirts off. They're in their briefs and they're sitting in their backyard trying to get as much sunlight as they can so we can optimize their vitamin D. But I've actually seen athletes who were back there whose vitamin D levels, no joke, and these are world-class athletes who are 21. Mm-hmm. Sure. We raised them up. We raised them up to the 80s and the 90s. And their performances absolutely went through the roof and were completely optimized. So um, anecdotally, understanding many of the proactive approaches to COVID and things like that, um, and all those of which we appreciate so much, those levels were for basically regular people we'll call them regular people but i'm dealing with people who train and eat and sleep in ways that the average human being doesn't want to do and you know obviously to be a world class athlete are required so we took their levels up a bit and i researched the vitamin d toxicity levels explicitly i went through every article that you had and so running between 80 and 100 is the optimal place for those people to be and uh, through sunlight direct sunlight through the near infrared process and through the supplementation of, uh, in particular, D three K two combination, because so many people don't understand that the D three without the K two is not going to end up possibly in the right tissues. Yeah, if you're going to supplement for sure, but yep. even if you're getting the D three just from the sun, you probably want to consider K two. It's just a, they go really well together. I'm curious, have any of your athletes been able to get to how many have been able to get to eighty on hundred just with sunlight alone? Quite a few. Quite a few wow. out, out here in Southern California. Yeah. Well, it's great. So, uh, 
because the timing is so key. You know, a, a few years ago, I, did, I was concerned about the intensity of the sun here in Florida. So I would go out maybe two hours before solar noon. But then I said, forget, I'm just going to go out at noon. So this year was the first year ever that I was able to get my vitamin D to 100 without any supplementation. 100 on one zero zero. First time I've ever had triple digits. Yeah. Yeah. So it can work. And I, and I, I contrast that with another physician who's, who's enamored with the sun, Paul Saladino, who lives about 15 degrees further south latitude wise. He's at nine degrees and I'm at like 27. Um, and he was only able to, but he goes out early in the morning and surfing. So he doesn't get the full sun at noon, like I do. And he, he was only able to get his to 75 and he has a pretty good diet. So yeah. it's interesting, the difference just between the timing that you can, you can achieve. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. I read his book from uh, your book list too, the longevity solution. And yeah. uh, so that was, that was his, his uh, book. I think it was carnivore, the carnivore code, I think is what it was. Um, did he, did he have one? The longevity what? solution. I don't recall who wrote that. Longevity solution. <laughs> I, I thought it was him in there, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, absolutely. With the, uh, with regard to the, the vitamin D facilitation, but uh, another practice that you've been a strong advocate of, which uh, I have both your books uh, with the fat for fuel and mm -hmm. uh, was using the cyclical ketogenic diet, because you have to understand that when you're using a high level athlete and the amount of energy expenditure that they're using, um, there are certain things that have to be cycled in there. Otherwise, we're going to get a down regulation in thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can follow that directly. So by using the cyclical ketogenic and the intermittent fasting protocol, along with the fasted training and the red light therapy, along with the nutrients, we'll be able to get some really fantastic pathways of basically fuel synthesis. What a lot of people understand is a lot of your fuels don't just come from carbohydrates or glycolysis, but through one of the supplements that you've been in the past spoken about, which is basically our carbohydrate facilitation is thiamine. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically what people don't understand is that through many different pathways for even to be able to work within the mitochondria with pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, you have to have thiamine in there. Transketolase, it is the rate limiting supplement in basically pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, alpha ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex, through HCL1 fatty acid synthesis, and through branch chain keto acid dehydrogenase, thiamine is basically the supplement that will make or break it. And so uh, I took your suggestions on that. And did we have- you, Now, did, did you just use regular uh, thiamine or the fat cyboform, which is benphotamine or even lipothiamine? Or uh, I actually use uh, benphotamine. Benphotamine, okay. And uh, to be able to see that work and measure, measure these quantities and the outputs is absolutely fantastic. So people don't understand that. I mean, there are certain things to be able to get beta oxidation to work. For example, mm -hmm. carnitine. Not everyone's a molecular biologist, but beta oxidation is essentially the, the meta meta metabolization of the fatty acids from fat. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but you just posted an article yesterday on basically the benefits of red meat. And no, sure. No, I interviewed uh, Sean Baker, who is a, a beast, <laughs> maybe not by your standards, but he's like yeah. two, 260 and six, five and. Oh, he was great. The whole thing was great, but you pointed out not just the 
importance of the carnitine, but of carnosine, or basically we call it in another world kind of uh, the beta alanine. Well, but, beta uh, alanine is one of the two amino acids that can that makes up uh, carnosine, but uh, the other one is histidine, but that's not the rate limiting one. Just like an AMPT, if you, if you give your body the rate limiting fuel, then it, it has the capacity to make it. So beta alanine is the most efficient way to do it, or even better is eat meat. because <laughs> Yeah. 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 And uh, you know what? And uh, just, I mean, just pointing out some such important things that the basically the, the glycolated sugars and things like that, where carnosine will attach to it and actually oh, it, even fats, like glycolated fats, ALEs, advanced lip, lip oxid, oxidation end products, ALEs, yep. which are far more dangerous than the AGEs, they advanced glycation and glycosylation uh, end products. Yeah, that is true. And, uh, so all of these principles through there, through the supplementation, uh, reaching the mitochondria from a optimized performance of the facilities that are available to it, and then uh, understanding the importance of the pentose phosphate pathway mm. and many of your articles on the facilitation of NADPH yeah. and ribose five phosphate. Most people don't get that. That is such an important nutrient, not nutrient, but a, a regulatory molecule in your body. If you don't have it, you are messed up in spades. Oh, oh, hundred percent. But you see, you basically, you well, basically you drove me to understand that I could attenuate NOx, which was basically mm -hmm. the the enzyme that's going to attenuate it or shut it down. Mm -hmm. And you did it through nutritional means with glycine, mm -hmm. and you did it through a number of means uh, to be able to shut down that enzyme. However, I built a mechanism to actually be able to see the pentose phosphate pathway work, which is very unheard of. Mm. Uh, most people don't understand it, but what happens is when you're going through glycolysis, as you well know, you got the glucose and then you got the glucose 6-phosphate and then you have the fructose 6-phosphate and then you have the 1,6-bisphosphate. And then mm -hmm. it breaks off into the two molecules into glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate and diacetyl, um, what is that, dihydroxyacetyl something, uh, phosphate, I think it is. Yeah, acetone phosphate. And then it goes all the way down to phosphenopyruvate and pyruvate. But the basically determining factor as to whether your body shifts from glucose 6-phosphate and goes through glycolysis and comes through to uh, the mitochondria in the presence of oxygen is going to be ATP production. Mm -hmm. And so if your body is continually being driven down, and now this gets a little bit deeper on overtraining for athletes, which is huge for especially combat athletes. Mm -hmm. If your body is in a state whereby the ATP is never fully replenished, then the pentose phosphate pathway has not a very vivid signal to shoot on over to basically the, taking the glucose 6-phosphate over to 6, what is that, 6-phosphoglucanolactone, and then over on into 6-phosphogluconate, and then into the pentose phosphate pathway to create ribose 5-phosphate and NADPH. But that means that the system has to feel comfortable to do that and the only way to do that is actually to have it in a recovered state. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote an algorithm. It took me eight years to write. And it's actually a phone app right now. Mm, nice. The training lab for autonomic nervous system analysis. 
and nutrient deficiency, which is uses an algorithm that I wrote for heart rate variability using time domain, frequency domain, and Poincaré plot on mm. it as a mathematician. And uh, it's the only app in the world will actually tell you, you can actually see how the pathways are working. It doesn't just use heart rate variability to show you if the sympathetic or parasympathetic are in balance or whatnot on the stressors of the body, but actually gives you a quantitative number on fuel and the output that these systems are doing. And uh, so this is so what, 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 what is the data points for the algorithm? It, obviously, it's the EKG rhythm that you're analyzing, but what, are there any other inputs? The input is basically a heart rate monitor. We use electromagnetic or electrofrequency uh, right there, five minute reading each day. And uh, one of the key readings on heart rate variability in a time domain is RMSSD, which mm-hmm. is the frequencies between the heart beats. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people don't understand that heart rate variability means just that. The more robust the variability, the better state that your body is in and your state, uh, basically your state of health and your well-being is in. And um, the more monotonic, or I should say monotone that it is, the basically worse situation you're in. So when I get people say, oh, my heart rate is 60 beats a minute and it's one a second, I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, that's not real good. Mm-hmm. Um, we need variability. We need boom. Boom, 0.9, 1, to have a robust variability. But um, it's been very, very, very telling because we can actually use this as a diagnostic tool. And the app itself has a COVID anomaly test on it. And we can actually decipher between physiological stress and psychological stress for athletic anxiety. And uh, so it's a really neat app. It took me many yeah. years to do it. And I worked with uh, one of your programmers in Florida there who's my partner down there who uh, for the last six years implementing it online and uh, getting it into an app. So is this available online for both the app stores? Yeah, it's in the app store. It's just go to training lab, T-R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G and uh, it can be seen, but uh, it's basically the the most prolific performance app there is in the world right now. And uh, a good pearl, but Every one of these topics I've grossed right now is one that has been a tangent off of something you've mentioned. And I'm sure you recognize all of them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a starting point and we all are thankful for people who provide us with those starting points, but you've taken it to the next level and obviously not only taken it to the next level, but improved it to the point where it could be applied and, and people can, or athletes can achieve results. And that's what they're after, after results. Cause you know, my, my basic passion is to, educate the, not necessarily athletes, so I'm beyond delighted to find that that's occurring because I consider myself an athlete, not at a world-class competitive level, but certainly at an athletic level. Um, but the average person can become, become almost anyone, unless they're, well, almost anyone can become an athlete and really improve their body physiology and, and shape to the, some of the pictures that you showed earlier or shared earlier. Uh, so you know, it's just so exciting to see you, you do this. So I'm wondering, you know, getting back to the mitochondrial improvement and, you know, you've implemented all these strategies. And I, when our previous conversations, I don't recall if you integrated methylene blue. Uh, my guess is you, have you, have you done that? Yeah. Okay. I would think so, because it, to me, that was one of the most exciting innovations in the, that I think is with respect to mitochondrial function, especially for those who are so tired. I'm just seeing it, it literally... 
it was discovered in 1876, and towards the end of the 1800s, it was given the accurate the the pseudonym of the magic bullet. And I rarely refer to something as a magic bullet because it, it rarely ever addresses the foundational cause of disease. And methylene blue certainly doesn't, but it, it's it's such a phenomenally amazing crutch that's non-toxic when used appropriately. And, and the results are just, it's mind blowing to see the changes that occur acutely. I mean, literally within hours. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to hear your experience with it. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because a lot of people don't understand it. And a lot of people, when you talk to them about it, they think, oh, that's a dye that they make blue jeans out of. That's true. It is. <laughs> it yeah. is. But but when you understand the biology of it, and its ability to basically bridge the gap when there's a breakdown in the electron transport chain <laughs> and to basically be able to get over to the molecular oxygen and then facilitate the process um, and its abilities to work with actual nutrients and red light. I don't know if you've seen it, but I actually have a clinic here, a colleague of mine here in Newport Beach. His name is Dr. Bennett, and he's a fantastic man. But my first experience with methylene blue was actually during COVID. And uh, we had uh, a number of athletes whose fathers, mothers, families, and athletes who became very, very concerned because their their family and loved one members' SpO2s had dropped drastically into the 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't know what to do, but they went to the hospitals and the hospitals basically said, well, until you have, uh, you know, some more problems, just go home and sit. And then when you can't breathe or whatever. That was the best thing they could have done because if they put him in the hospital, they put him on a ventilator and kill them. Yep. Kill them. That was was their strategy. So that is true. But Dr. Bennett actually brought in a form of methylene blue that was infused with some key proprietary metals, which mm-hmm. I won't say those out on, on the screen here because that's his deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, he basically gave the IVs and the oral consumption of it. Let me uh, just get rid of that there. Sorry about that. Um, and so what happened is these, I, I can tell you exact numbers. They had people walking in with uh, 72 on the SPO2 and they, they didn't know what to do. They basically, these people felt they were dying. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Bennett infused in an IV and then catalyzed the reaction with near-infrared light. Mm-hmm. And so through the IV, there was an apparatus that went through near-infrared light straight in. And we watched literally in hours, in hours, Dr. Mercola, their SpO2s go from 72 up to 93, 94, which is just on the verge of general hypoxia right there. Mm-hmm. And then within two to three days, they were back to 98, 9,900. And methylene blue literally saved their lives. Yeah. So, so it, I think, yep, go ahead. It's interesting because, and it's application for COVID because it is the parent molecule for hydroxychloroquine. And mm-hmm. in 1890, Paul Ehrlich was a prominent German physician back then wrote a paper in 1890, it's a long time ago, it's 132 years ago, that it actually was effective for malaria. And these antimalarials, like hydroxychloroquine and uh, ivermectin, seem to be useful. So uh, it, it hydroxychloroquine is derived from methylene blue. It's, yeah. That's the parent molecule. So yeah. it should work from that perspective. But in mitochondrial, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I think 
I, I don't typically recommend IV use of methylene blue. You can use it, but it, it, unless the person is dying of cyanide poisoning or is in an acute emergency, and if the SbO2 is that low, then it's certainly appropriate. But typically oral is all that's required mm -hmm. uh, because it goes in so quickly. There's just like, there's, it, it, there's not an issue with absorption at all. It yeah. just gets in to all the tissues. And I, I think that infrared light too, it sounds like he was shining it in the IV bag or in the, in the peripheral line that was going in. And I, my understanding of the, of the mechanism of action is that it actually works in the mitochondria, the, the red light. So it, in, a, in conjunction with the methylene blue. So I don't know that shining the light before it goes in is going to be useful shining on the person or even better going in the sun or the near infrared sauna. See, I time, I time my, personal use of methylene blue, either before the highest part is if I want to do it, a sauna it would be the sauna. If I'm not doing a sauna that day and I do it before the sun, if it's sunny, if not, then I do it before a near infrared panel. So just to yes. get that synergy within near infrared radiation, because mm -hmm. I think it is profound and you, you've shared some really amazing benefits of that. Well, what you point out, what you point out is basically the comprehensive paradigm of mm -hmm. acute the, you are correct. You're exactly right on. When the SpO2 was buried down there near the 70s or actually below, mm -hmm. they went with the IV. However, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. That makes sense. The uh, In my wife's case and in all my kids, we all, all nine of my kids, all my kids, myself and Monica had the very first alpha strain um, basically in the very beginning in our house because it just spread right through. We all yeah, had that, I think they call it the, the Wuhan strain, the original. Yeah. And so what we did is we nebulized the methylene blue, and then we had put- Really? You nebulized it? Yes. And then Wow. Put, I, what type of, I would really like to know the concentrations you were using on that one. Um, actually, you know, if I can remember, we used, uh, basically, we had this the syringes that he supplied us. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it's been a little while now. But what we did is we used the near-infrared lighting on our wrists- we strapped them on with Velcro and we put them right here on the wrists. And uh, so I think it's really interesting because you didn't know about this, but you actually intuitively stated it. But that is exactly what we did. And uh, mm -hmm. I can't say that's my protocol. That was a colleague of mine mm -hmm. and um, it was highly effective. But the fallout of that was I thought, well, heck, if this works this way for illness, then what can it do for my athletes? <laughs> <laughs> Always thinking, always thinking. Yeah. So we actually did uh, move into that and uh, we do use it. And uh, so basically, again, everything that you said there is exactly right. Um, there's the acute case and then there's the, the other cases that are less acute and chronic on that. And uh, we use the red light in just the same way. Now, had I had my sauna facilitated at that time with sauna space, mm -hmm. we would have nebulized right in the sauna with it because we used all your protocols with uh, basically the pharmaceutical grade hydrogen peroxide, the saline solutions and things like that during the COVID. We used the entire protocol. Well, it's not it's not necessarily pharmaceutical grade. It's uh, food grade. Food, food grade. That's correct. Food grade, food, grade. Yeah. food grade is free of the stabilizers, which probably in very small concentrations aren't going to be a big issue. But, you know, it's certainly not going to move you towards health. So yeah. it's just best to have peroxide that's free of those stabilizers. Yeah. A lot of athletes, in fact, uh, almost every athlete that you saw there, they all had COVID and they were basically using the means that you were so vociferous about publishing out there, whether it was 
you know, whether it was Peter McCullough or whether it was Robert Malone's or whatever's, you guys had a driving force to give an alternative to the folks out there who were scared and to athletes mm-hmm. who basically didn't know what was going on, wanted to get back. And um, we used a lot of these things with the vitamin D optimization. We used the, you basically showed very clearly that zinc alone in and of itself wasn't going to work without a zinc ionophore. And whether mm-hmm. that be elderberry or biocorcetin, it didn't matter. And the melatonin or hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> hydroxychloroquine. We had it. And we also, we also had uh, the other things on there as well that, uh, that we were able to uh, get, but uh, yeah. So your influence uh, has been wide, not just, like I said, on a general population and not just in athletics, but in a time of crisis where society needed answers and you and your colleagues who I admire greatly uh, provided those answers and you provided that peace of mind and you provided means. And I can't even tell you how many people actually were able to get rid of their COVID by using these sure. protocols, which has now been called eye mask and all these things, et cetera. I'm down. Sure. So, um, have been disturbed. I think it would probably be the best comment on seeing many, many incredibly fit professional athletes die yeah. as a result of being jabbed. Yeah. Uh, which is, is sort of an anomaly. You'd think they'd be more resilient to that type of stress, but for some reason, being incredibly fit was a risk factor if you got the jab. I don't know why, but it was. So I'm wondering, were most of your athletes able to avoid the jab? And if they did, weren't, how they fared with the jab? Did you have any athletes die from, from it? I did not because my advice to the athletes was right in line with Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. McCullough. Yeah. And um, my athletes actually formed the first athlete coalition for athletes against the vaccine. And uh, they leveraged that for many of the competitions, but they felt as though that they, it was their body, it was their choice. And I'm not going to get into, you know, who thinks what. I, I believe I understand the science of it. Um, but then none of my athletes actually got it. And uh, that was a conversation that we had. Um, I just could not see something like that spike protein going in and screwing up the glycocalyx layer in their body and boring into the endothelium and then uh, causing basically viscosity problems when I'm trying to get oxygen onto the hemoglobin at the highest level I can using HIF and other means, uh, diaphragmatic quadruplex means that we use and things like that. I'm trying to get it to the body. I have a full right here recovery center with four hyperbaric chambers here. So mm. basically, which, which is also used to little tree COVID. That, oh, 100%. You should see how many people we had. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so basically understanding that um my athletes asked i gave them my opinion my opinion was based on looking at both sides of the coin researching everything out do i have anything inherently against vaccines or whatnot no this in particular case well you should <laughs> so, well, you know you know what the primary reason you should is because they've never ever never ever been tested against a true placebo and they're mm-hmm. all the studies they use they test them against another vaccine which is right. it's, it's, it's it's basically a fraudulent study it's it's you there's well, no this, way you can get an, an answer as to the safety of these yeah. these, these tools i'm referring to the previous vaccines that were not the mrna 
some of the no, that's what I'm referring to too. All yeah. those the childhood vaccine, yeah, for sure, which is crazy. None of them have been, of them have been proven safe. Yeah, they use, they use placebo they, as the placebo arm. They use another vaccine, which I don't know how they get away with it, other than they've got they've controlled the whole industry. Yeah, they seem to have that. Uh, they have that down. And uh, so, you know what? The science just didn't make sense. And uh, the the approval of it and then following the results, because I have a lot of people. In fact, I just have a gentleman. Uh, I won't tell you his name, but uh, who was 63 years old and was vaccinated. And uh, within two months, started having terrible, terrible um, heart problems. And uh, basically just this week, he had a heart transplant from an unfortunate circumstance where a 20 year old passed away. But um, so we see a lot of that. I'm not sure what the delivery mechanism is on uh, athletes who are in such good condition, but I have a list of all of them who are, uh, who've been basically affected or died from it. And uh, a lot of them are very cardio intensive. And mm-hmm. so it basically takes me to the, that system of basically the arteries, the arterioles, the veins, mm-hmm. the venules, and the capillaries capillary perfusion and uh, basically the corruption of the endothelium layer and that glycocalyx. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the things that you had mentioned earlier in trying to correct those things with uh, glucosomine, chondroitin sulfate, hyaluronic mm-hmm. acid. Um, in fact, even some of the off-market, uh, it's interesting, some of the off-patent drugs uh, that can actually help with that, like pentoxifilin mm-hmm. and uh some of the IVs of the ethylene diamine tetracyclic acid and things like that are all feasible means to uh, try and attenuate some of that. But fortunately, none of my athletes. Uh, yeah. So what, what's your, what's your best guess as to the cause of death in the athletes who took the jab? I mean, it's, it's an impact on the vascular system. You think it was through a thrombosis or clot somewhere. I believe so. I believe so. And, but that goes on into a whole nother tangent as to what do you really think that, coronary artery disease is, is it due to a fat cholesterol hypothesis or is it due to a thrombotic process facilitated by blood clots and macrophages and basically the compromise of the endothelium layer, which a fantastic book on that one called As the Clot Thickens by by Malcolm Kendrick. Yeah. Fantastic book. I I, I interviewed him on that book. Yeah. Fantastic book. the only problem in the book is he didn't really understand or appreciate the oxidative stress that precipitated the damage that could be caused by linoleic acid consumption, which I believe is the primary culprit along with high iron levels, high iron and high linoleic acid is what causes the LDL that's uh, has the fatty acids because LDL is a lipoprotein that carries the fat. And if, if it's composed of linoleic acid, it's just a walking time bomb. That's one of the first things that I actually do with my athletes is completely reduce the linoleic acid and uh, basically understanding the balance between the uh, basically the ratios of the omega threes and the omega sixes and doing that through avoiding condensed animal feeding operation foods, the Mm -hmm. basically things like that and bastardizing the omega three profile to the omega six profile. I mean, I find it fascinating. We're supposed to have a at best, a three to one profile, or I mean, at an outlier, six to one, and Americans are on average anywhere from 25 to 50 to one ratio. And uh, so that is one of the 
one of the big and things. It's not typically due to de- I mean, decreased omega-3 is a part of it, but it, the major issue is excess omega-6. Yes, 100%. That's the driver. That's the driver. Yeah, that's, that, that is. And But people are unbeknownst getting this through the bastardization of manufacturing and the food processing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one thing to sit here and say beef is grass-fed and even organic at that matter, but you're not being told that that beef is actually then going to a slaughterhouse to be then grain fed with GMO grains that is turning the omega-3 fatty acids into the omega-6 fatty acids, which are then being consumed by the human being. Well, you know, that's, I thought that too, but when you look into more deeply, cows Mm -hmm. have have more than one stomach. They're polygastric animals, so that the, right. the, the extra stomachs allows them to have a microflora, which essentially prov- provides a biohydrogenation chamber, so they can actually saturate those fatty acids with hydrogen. In other words, they can convert omega-6 that they are eating through the grains, like you mentioned, to essentially saturated fat, whereas monogastric animals like chicken and frogs right. only have one stomach, so they can't. They're just like us. So the... Uh, Beef, even if they were fed grains from day one, they may have slightly higher omega-6, but not significantly. It's almost indistinguishable. But when they're feeding the grains, unless they're organic, they're going to get blasted with glyphosate and other pesticides. 100%. So there's other reasons to eat organic and grass-fed. But from an LA perspective, I I I don't think that's a major benefit. So that in some ways, that's beneficial. That you know you can have the luxury of not being obsessed with getting the grass fed, even though it is better. You're you're not going to increase your LA by hardly any any difference. Yeah, yeah. So, but that is uh, one of the ways that we uh, actually use some of the other principles. And um, you mentioned the last one there was uh, basically so many times we see uh, things that have been diagnosed: uh, iron deficiency, anemia, or anemia chronic disease. Oh, actually, a copper issue, and. Uh, Nobody tests serioplasm and they don't understand how the hephaestin and the serioplasmin are converting. Wait, I don't think you can, I don't think you can test hephaestin, but, but um, you can, but I, you know what? I'm led to believe that you can. Um, okay, I, I have not looked I, at it. You might be able to, I just yeah. not, I've not looked at it commercially. Yeah. I do the serioplasm and, yeah, uh, and the copper, and then, copper too and retinol. Right. And uh, basically understanding how basically hepcidin and mm-hmm. ferroport and work together. And so a copper deficiency can actually show or a copper abundance can actually lead to these anemias also. Mm-hmm. One of my issues is with the iron panels that the people are running out there, they run just serum iron. <laughs> and, and they don't understand that serum iron without ferritin, TIBC, percent transferrin saturation, uh, without these things to put together the whole piece of the puzzle with copper, then you really can't get an accurate picture to say, oh, you need iron. And so I see a lot of guys, actually, I can see it in the hair tissue mineral analysis where they are just loaded with iron because some trainer or somebody has come and said, hey, just take a bunch of iron. And uh, I think that it's toxic. So I'm confident it's toxic. There's no question. I mean, unless you're acute, you have acute, tragic or massive blood loss, which is very, very rare. 999 people out of a thousand when they're told they have iron deficiency are basically copper deficient. Yeah, that, that is that's exactly true. And the, the hair tissue mineral analysis shows that very well. 
Yeah. And uh, so now if you take the two and you basically corroborate them together, hair tissue mineral analysis, and you back it up with a serum reading, now you get a true picture and we can actually start to work holistically with foods that have a higher profile copper, copper, but not just supplementation, because as you know, the fine balance between zinc and copper is extremely intricate in the hormones. And uh, so being able to put all these pieces together at the level that we have here with the hair tissue mineral analysis, with all of the means that we've mentioned on this podcast here, and with the serum, we're able to see a complete picture of an individual to enable their God-given potential to go to a level that is basically unsurpassable. And uh, so we, I like to say it this, the skill and the will write the checks. The body has to cash it. The body has to cash it. So a lot of athletes out there have the skill, they have the will, but those checks do no good unless the body can actually cash those checks. And um, that's uh, that's basically where we've been with the training lab here. So a lot of cool things. That is great. So I'm curious because you've adopted so many of the things I've been been recommending. It's just such a pleasure to see that. But I'm one of the obscure components would be whole food vitamin C as opposed to ascorbic acid. So the best source of whole food vitamin C is to get it from fruits and vegetables, fruits primarily. And the, one of the highest density of, of whole food vitamin C is uh, acerola cherries, which is produced by the Barbados cherry. So since you're based out of California, I'm wondering if you've been able to convince some of your athletes out there to plant some Barbados cherry trees to get some, and, and it, it's a great source of copper too, much better than most of the other sources, because there's an enzyme in pretty much all whole food vitamin C called tyrosinase that is, is loaded with copper if the mm -hmm. soil is replete with it. So that's how I actually, that's one of the reasons I don't need to take any copper supplements because I have so much whole food vitamin C, but have any, any of your athletes uh, planted Barbados cherry trees? All of them. What I need to say is that all of them use basically Montmorency cherries as a means of their base for their nutritional drink that we do daily. Oh, um, so the cherry concept, but I, I can't say any of them actually planted the, the trees. Well, that's um, the next level. That's the next level. Yeah, that would be something we'd have to talk about, but, um, yeah. but I don't, I very rarely do I have them actually supplement with a, a vitamin C supplement. I usually a whole food source from uh, organic camu camu berry. Yeah. Camu camu acerola cherries. And yes. uh, there's another one too. Amla, I think is the other. Yes. One. And uh, be much more bioavailable. And uh, the tyrosinase, which we're talking about is huge. And with the copper being in there, a lot of people don't understand that. Um, so that is very true. And when you wrap the whole thing up and you look at everything and go, my gosh, the body is such a multifaceted organism of interconnected mechanisms that work hand in hand, and they all start to interconnect. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. And uh, so that is really cool. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that the conversion of ferric iron into ferrous mm -hmm. is basically going to go through what, vitamin C, uh, mm -hmm. ferroreductase. Yeah. And then to go into the divalent metal transport to get actually absorbed into the liver itself and then be stored as ferritin or used in the mitochondria through the iron sulfur clusters or whatever it's going to be. And then going back out through ferroport and into transferrin and whatnot. It's all related to the copper, the vitamin C. It's not this serum iron number that says, oh, your serum iron looks good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, mo most of your athletes are 
not your age or my age, so they're much younger. But do you get them also on an iron reduction program with respect, not just to not avoiding iron supplements, but actually doing some donations, blood donations periodically? I do whatever the numbers tell me. I'm a mathematician. So if the numbers tell me and my athletes need it, 100% I do. 100%. Perfect. So uh, it's, you know, that's the kind of neat part about it. What we do here is uh, being a mathematician, the numbers guide us, whether it's through heart rate variability, whether it's through diagnostic testing whether it's through whatever the protocols might be that can be measured metabolically through a metabolic cart and uh, basically fat substrate facilitation and things like that. They're all very quantifiable. You can see them. That's why I Mm -hmm. liked your interview with Dr. Schallenberg because I understood what he was talking about using the oxygen and basically the CO2 and using their ratios and being able to then facilitate mitochondrial function. And I sat and I looked at it and I was like, oh man, I got to go get that book. And yeah, I got yeah. his book and it was fantastic. And from that, I was actually able to build a very similar model that actually took it a level up mathematically. And uh, so not only were we able to determine some of the parameters that he said with mitochondrial functionality, but we're actually able to get a discrete number on ATP yeah. production in the body. Yeah, he did a major effort with that uh, aspect, mm-hmm. but he, I don't know if you're aware you might probably are you just about <laughs> integrating integrate almost everything I've put out there, but he was the guy who actually figured out nebulized peroxide in the nineties. He was, he was the guy he, he derived it because he was actually using hydrogen peroxide intravenously and, and just intuited that it probably could be nebulized just as effectively. And he, he kind of refined the schedule over a few years and, you know, and now I think he saved a lot of lives as a result of it because people like Thomas Levy and myself and, um, David Bronstein have been uh, heavily promoting it. Yeah. Well, it's very effective. Uh, I can tell you that firsthand. I could go through a whole lot of uh, athletes and a whole lot of uh, yeah. people who we use that as part of the protocol that you guys put out. And uh, then, like I said, then coming across the methylene blue was a real caveat and a real pleasant uh, surprise to be able to see. Just to- I, I bet if you're nebulizing, you're going to have some blue mask, <laughs> nebulization mask, because that blue eye is going to. Yeah, but you know die. what? It worked really well in conjunction with something else that you advocated. And I use it. I actually use it. I went in and became certified on the Molecular Hydrogen Institute. Oh, Tyler is one of my best friends. Yeah, yep. he's, and I he's love Tyler. Great. And the way we use molecular hydrogen for the ionized radiation for my athletes when they travel mm-hmm. and they travel around the world and how we're able to use it to basically reduce the hydroxyl free radical in the cascade to be able to uh, attenuate things like jet lag, things Mm -hmm. like fatigue and water withholding, because my sports that I work with is are weight intensive. So they have to make a particular weight. And uh, so they don't become saturated with extra water retention or excess edema. But now when you take the protocol and you put it together with Everything you guys have mentioned with the food grade hydrogen peroxide, the methylene blue, the povidone iodine flush, which is Peter McCullough's Mm -hmm. um, addition there. And then you add the molecular hydrogen. Tyler put out a fantastic video early on showing how Mm -hmm. it was going to work. And uh, so if you take all four of them, you take them all and you put them all together along with the nutritional protocol, you have put together the entire picture. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. No question. So what are you using the tablets with your athletes for the molecular um, hydrogen? 
I actually have a machine. I, I'm ta- I use okay. tablets for the athletes, but we went out and bought a machine. Yeah, to, the, to get the gas. What what, per- yeah. what percentage of the gas is? Three percent, seven percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I, I use the gas now too, but it's it's a lot more expensive and inconvenient. Obviously, you're not going to travel with it. So, uh, but right. if you're going to do it regularly, I think that's the ideal. Yeah. So the athletes, uh, it's very very convenient because people don't understand how much oxidative damage actually happens when you're flying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in a unique position because I measure everything. I'm mm-hmm. able to see it and I'm able to see the performance that comes out of it. Yeah. And, or uh, lack of performance by not doing it. <laughs> perfect. Exactly. Lack thereof. And uh, the athletes see it. And uh, so targeted and used correctly, uh, fantastic addition to what we do. And so that came right off your site. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> they, if you went in and you went to their names on your accounts and you saw what these kids, these, these kids told me yesterday, they could tell Dr. Mercola that I have spent $60,000 in supplement oh, in the last God. seven years. But, but it worked uh, out. So they're some of our premier customers, but I didn't even, never even knew that. They are. They're very premier yes. customers. And uh, so, and the cool part was, is I wanted them to know this too. Yeah. I told them, they said, do you get a kickback on this or something like that? <laughs> I said, no. And I said, I wouldn't take one if I had a chance because then I would have a conflict of interest and you wouldn't yeah, 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 yeah. understand sure. that I believe in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's basically what I, uh, I tell every one of them. Uh, absolutely not. And uh, the funny part is, is, uh, you know, they're like, are you sure you're not Dr. McCola? I'm like, no, I'm not Dr. McCullough. <laughs> <laughs> he's a way he's a lot smarter than I am. He's a lot smarter than I am. But uh well, I don't know about that. You're pretty pretty high up there what you've been able to do and integrate. And your intelligence is is your ability to take information and integrate it and to tweak it to your circumstances or the circumstances of the people you're caring for. And you've done such an impressive job of that because it's so easy to make mistakes. And the other thing is you you, you implement, which is a, a you're disciplined because you're you're an athlete yourself. So most most athletes don't lack the discipline component. The vast majority of the population does, uh, but you've been able to integrate that and get results. And so I, I'm just so impressed with what you've been able to do with this information because most of the time, as <laughs> to say, it falls on deaf ears, and you, you, we're providing people with the tools and the information they need to absolutely transform their their health and their whole body and essentially provide this shield against almost all chronic degenerative disease and even reverse most of the diseases they encounter. But most, most of them just, for whatever reason, you know, it's sad, but they're just not able to integrate into what they're yeah. doing. Like you, you've been doing with your, you yourself yeah. and your athletes. Yeah. Well, they're super excited. And uh, all of them you had mentioned earlier uh, about possibly listening to them at some point in time, in the future and having a panel. Sure. Right. We have them back on and have a few athletes that you can choose and we can get their hear, hear from their, their mouth directly and you know what, yeah. what they've noticed and implemented the program and the changes and the shifts. So yeah. it'd be interesting. You know, I think I think most people, if they're really intrigued and interested in health, they, they aspire to it be an, an athlete of sorts in their own their own interest in sport. But uh it's great to see these results. I, I can't Thank you enough for taking the initiative and implementing like you did to get these unbelievable results and making such a difference in so many people's lives. Absolutely. Well, thank you for providing a lot of the information and the the learning for us. And uh, like I said, there's a whole different sect out there that is being affected that you might not have fathomed at an extremely high level. And uh, so thank you again for all your input and uh, all the education that you give us. And uh, we appreciate your steadfastness. All right. Well, you keep up the great work, Coach Cal. Thank you. Bye-bye.